Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you here this morning and to be able to gather around the Word of God and to sing songs of praise to the Lord is a blessing. It's a blessing to me. Thank you for having Joy and me out today. And I want you to turn then to the passage that our brother read for us in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. And the last time I was here, if I remember right, we, we looked in the book of 2 Chronicles. If you remember, we were looking at what happened in the days of King Hezekiah. If you remember that the children of Israel and, and the people of Judah had been living really in cold-heartedness and rebellion against the Lord. And even among the kings, not only of Israel, but the kings of Judah, there had been a widespread just coldness against the Lord. And they had really turned against the Lord. And they had forgotten the word of God. And they had forgotten even the things that the Lord had taught about, this is how I am to be worshipped, and this is how you are to come to me. If you remember, when we looked at that, we said, we were right in the middle of, you remember there was something happening in, in Wilmore, Kentucky. And folks were talking about revival, and folks were talking about, and we were thinking about, what would it be like for us if the Lord would so move in our hearts and in our culture and in our nation and in our state and in our churches to so work in us that we would, there would be a widespread turning to the Lord? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? People were saying and singing songs about it and just uh, theorizing and just dreaming. What would that be like? Some people even from around here and from Louisville where, where we live were going to Wilmore, Kentucky to see if some of that would rub off on them. Maybe if we just go and rub elbows with people, maybe that'll rub off, you know. Well, I don't hear much about that anymore. I, there may be some things still going on. I don't know. But that was, that was kind of an excitement that, that lasted for a while. It was all in the news. Secular people, church people, Government people, entertainment people, we're all talking about that. And we talked about it, even in, even in the context of this verse that, that you just now read to us from Second Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I will hear, heal their land. Want to want us to look at this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and think about repentance. And what part does repentance play in our lives as believers, in our lives as those who have called upon the name of the Lord and are seeking to be followers of Jesus? I, I read on this little banner up here. What, what does that say? Can you all see that enough? You way in the back may, may not be able to see it, but you know this one by heart. It's from Ephesians chapter 2. What does it say? For by grace you are saved. And what else? Do, what does it say then after that? Through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. In other words, faith is a gift of God. We don't boast. It's not of works lest any man boast. Isn't that what it says? We're going to talk about that today. I'm glad that's up here. You all knew that's what we're going to, we're going to talk about today. But that's not all that passage says, is it? Some of you all have memorized further. What does it say next? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand for us. The Christian life is a life of faith. We are saved by faith. And nothing that I'm going to say about repentance negates any of that. So when we, when we get finished today, don't anybody go home and say, that guy came out and preached that we're saved by repentance. No, the Bible says we are saved by grace. It is God's gift. It's not, it's not any works that we do. Not a work of uh, turning over a new leaf. Not a work of making new choices. Not a work of dressing in a different way. Not a work of giving more money to the church. Not even a work of repentance. By the way, we're going to look and we're going we're to read where repentance is also a gift of God. 
If we ever become repenters, it will be because God has given us his grace. And if we ever become believers, and if we are believers today, it's because God has given us by his grace. He's opened our eyes to see the Savior. And we turn to him in faith, and we turn to him in repentance. 1 Samuel chapter 7, I won't read through the whole passage, but I want us to focus on where, where do you get repentance in this passage, Brother Doug? Well, look at 1 Samuel 7. It says in verse 3, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your mercy today. We pray that you will teach us by your word, that you will open our hearts and our eyes and our ears by your spirit. And write the word on our hearts, Lord, and help us not just to learn some terms or some words or some phrases or not just to think about some ideas, but Lord, we want you to change our hearts. We want you to so move in us, so move in our hearts that we will be a people who are given over to you as the, our sister sung just in the song a few minutes ago that all my life, let all my life testify. And, and that's what it means, Lord, we believe. And teach us to really believe that and that it would really be true of us. That's a repentant life. That's the life of a Christian. To believe and then, then so live so that our life is a testimony to the truth of the faith that you have given us. So move in us, we pray, and help us, Lord. Help us to be repenters as we are believers. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now, who is this Samuel? Samuel is a judge. He's a prophet. He's a God-appointed prophet and judge. He's not somebody who just came along and said, well, I think uh, I've got some good ideas for you, and I'm going to teach you. No, it says that the Lord appointed him in chapter 3. In 1 Samuel 3, it says this, Samuel grew... This is when he was young. And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that means from north to south, the whole land, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So Samuel was not a self-appointed prophet. God set him up. God gave him a ministry. God gave him an office, the office of prophet. And he said, did you notice what it said? God determined that none of his words would fall to the ground. What's that mean? What Samuel said was from God. And so Samuel now is leading and he is teaching and he's teaching the people about repentance. And so they've come to the conclusion, if you read these intervening chapters that we're not going to read out, you go home and this is, again, I always give a homework assignment. Your homework assignment is to go home and to read these chapters in first, these first cha chapters in 1 Samuel and see what kind of condition the people were in. And you'll, you will find that they had, they were wandering, they were wandering this way and they were wandering that way. It says that the, if you remember, they had lots of battles back then. Can you remember what the Ark of the Covenant was? The Ark was that box, that gold-covered box that was in the tabernacle and then would one day be in the temple. And in that box, there was all kind of things in there. There were the commandments. And that box was not just a box. It was a place in the tabernacle. And then it would one day be in the temple where God said, I will come and meet you there. God was not in the box. It was a gold-covered box, and that was called also the mercy seat. And that was to be placed in the holiest place in the tabernacle and then one day in the temple. 
And when they would come in, remember the high priest on the Day of Atonement would come in one day per year, and he would sprinkle blood on that, that box, that ark. And that symbolized that we come and we approach the holy God only through blood. We don't just come our own way. God has made a way for the people to come. And that box, that ark symbolized that. Well, guess what? They don't have the box anymore. It was stolen by the Philistines. And these people, the Israelites, they were, that was a, not just a major headache, that was a heartache, and that was a, a cause of shame and disgrace. And they're saying, we got to get that thing back. And if you read, read the, your, again, your homework is to find out what all about this box, this ark, and all about this, the status and the condition of the hearts of the people of Israel, the people of God. And they say, we've got to get that ark back. The Philistines, by the way, got tired of having that box because it was a whole lot of trouble to them. Because they didn't believe in God, and God, God manifested his power even to those Philistines. So now the people are saddened. Um, they don't have the presence of God. They don't sense the presence of God. And they know something horribly wrong has happened not just because of the ark, but something horribly has gone wrong in their own hearts. And so they say, we want to return to the Lord. We want to come back into the presence of the Lord. Probably in many of their thoughts was, we want the Lord's presence to come back to us in the, in the box. What got, them, what got them in trouble in the first place about this ark was, they had a battle and they said, let's take the ark and if we take the ark into battle with us, it might be that it will save us from the Philistines. Not he will save us, God will save us. It, the box, will save us from the Philistines. We'll have victory because the box is with us. How many of us think that's the right kind of attitude to have about the Lord? If we could just get that box, we'll be, we'll be good. We'll be happy. We'll be prosperous. No, they, they had a wrong thought about God. And we, this is ancient times, I know. Some, some of you all are thinking, well, what's that have to do with us today? We don't have that ark. We don't, we don't do that. I know some of you have watched movies that say, what are some of those movies where they're looking for that box? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, that's all fiction. But there, there are still boxes where people try to kind of put God in a box. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I hope that none of us have ever tried that. You know, the box of, well, maybe this church or my church where we worship. Or our Baptist box or our Methodist box or our Presbyterian box. Or... The things I like to do, box, you know. I've got my own ideas about what, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. We might make the same kind of mistakes they did if we're not careful. But they've got a sense that something is wrong. Enough so that Samuel notices it. And in the, in the verse that I read here, in verse 3, Samuel says, if you are returning to the Lord, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then he gives some instructions to them. Then put away the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you. I want us to think about repentance today. What is repentance? If you're a note taker, this is the first point. What is repentance? What is that thing? What does it mean to repent? What I want us to consider this morning is this. Not only is our God, the God with whom we have to do, one that we are to believe in. By grace you've been saved through faith. But he is the God that we are to repent to we are to repent toward. And so what is repentance? The two biblical thoughts of repentance. 
in the New Testament, the word repent is used a lot more than in the Old, in our English Bibles. And the, I'm, not a, I'm not a language expert, so I'm not going to bore you all with, with this Greek word and this Hebrew word means this or that. But I will tell you a couple of them. The word to repent or repentance in the New Testament is basically from the Greek word that means a change of mind. A change of mind. We change our mind about something. That's repentance. And the Old Testament word that's most typically used for repentance is the idea of sorrowing, to be sorry. Such a deep sorrow that it will affect everything. And, and that's what Samuel's talking about. If you are, he said, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, and in the Old Testament idea that comes to this, to this place, there's such a sorrow in my heart because I have, I have missed out of the blessing of God or the presence of God, and that makes me so sorrowful that I must change. And the New Testament idea, I have missed out on the presence of God and the holiness of God and relationship with God and fellowship with God, and I feel the weight of the condemnation of my sin. And something radical needs to happen to change my direction. So those two ideas are biblical ideas of repentance. And both of them are here in this passage. Yesterday I had the privilege of doing uh, membership interviews uh, on Saturday morning where people were, are coming in and what we do in our church is we, uh, we meet them one-on-one -on -one with a pastor and we get to just talk with them and learn about them. And one of the, one of the folks that I got to interview was eight years old. He said, I want to I follow Jesus. And I was rejoicing at that. And I, I was so happy to be able to talk with him and just hear his childlike eight-year-old faith. You know, eight-year-olds can have faith in Jesus. And 88-year-olds can have faith in Jesus. And all in between. Well, this eight-year-old, he was a little bit nervous talking about all that and Anyway, so we got to repentance. What does it mean to repent? And I gave him this illustration. I said, all of us are born with a heart. Like we sang about a while ago, we kind of wander. Not just we kind of wander, but all of us are born with a heart. I believe you all were in Psalm 51 not too long ago. And what was it that David said in that psalm of repentance? I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We don't learn to be sinners, we're born that way. And all of us are not just wandering a little bit, but let us say, if this would be the direction to go toward God, our natural inclination is to not go that way. Our natural inclination is to go this way away from God. That's why the Apostle Paul could say something like this. In Acts chapter 20, he said that he went in Ephesus from house to house, preaching repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if this represents God's direction, what's the Bible say the prophet Isaiah said about us? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Not God's way. We have turned every... How many did that say? Half of us. All of us have turned to our own way. This way. Away from God. And we'll keep on going that way. Forever. Unless... Something radical happens. And that is God pierces our heart with the truth, with his word, and awakens us to our condition and our need of fallenness and condemnation in our sin. And God turns us from our way, which is all of us marching this way, and he turns us toward God. Repentance toward God means a change of mind and a change of heart toward God. And guess what? 
If I'm turning toward God, I know God is not just over here for you folks on this side. I'm just illustrating. But if we're turning toward God, we're turning our back on what? Our way and the way of sin. It's not just a light bulb goes off and I say, wouldn't it be nice to, you know, tip my hat to God? No, the idea is not a tip of the hat to God. It is I'm not going my own way anymore. I'm not going that way towards sin and destruction and condemnation and ultimately hell. No, we turn to the Lord. And that's a gift of God. Repentance is a change of mind, a turn away from my way, away from the way of sin, and to God. Who needs that to happen? How many of us need that? Every one of us. All of us, because all are going our way. That's what we've done. Like sheep, we've gone astray. What did God do about it? Well, he sent his son. The Savior, the shepherd who, what does it say? He laid upon him the iniquity of us all in order that our sin should be paid for. He should be the redeemer. He should be the one who takes away our sin, the condemnation of it, the judgment of it, the horror of it, and ultimately the presence of it, and now even the power of it. He has conquered and calls us to himself, trusting not in, we're going to turn over a new leaf. No, we're trusting in Jesus only. Believing in Jesus only as our Savior. And turning to him only to say, Lord, help me that my life, all of my life would testify to the truth. That you are Savior and you are Lord. That's what repentance is. That's what repentance is. It's not, oh, I did I did something wrong, and now I'm going to make up for it by doing this two things right. It is to have a new heart toward God. And that's what all of us need. Some of him, I'm not going to ask the question. I was going to say, how many of you all have had heart surgery? Probably in a crowd. There's at least two or three of you have had heart surgery. All of us need heart surgery. And the only surgeon who can do the kind of heart surgery we all need is the Lord Jesus himself. Because in this repentance business, not only are we not good at it, it's impossible for us. With the old, stony, dead, cold heart we had because we were all brought forth in iniquity and in sin our mothers conceived us and we come out of the womb not as innocent little babes, but as babes ready to sin from the get-go. Going our own way. So unless something happens in here, we won't, we won't turn to go toward the Lord. So we need radical, something radical has got to happen. The only one that can do that is the Lord. The only one who can do that is the Lord. Now, who needs to repent? We said everybody. Let's, let's illustrate that. Um, of all the creation of God, people are the ones that need to repent. Some of y'all got pets that need to, you think need to repent. They don't need to repent. They just need to be trained. And you, I, I may have said this to you before, but I used to have a dog when I was growing up. His name was Duke. And Duke had some good habits and he had some bad ones. Good habit, he would see a groundhog and he had figured out how to catch a groundhog pretty good. We'd say, good boy, Duke. But our neighbor had a dachshund and Duke was a smart dog and he could, he could calculate speed and distance really well. So he'd watch that dachshund and when it got far enough away from the dachshund's house, then Duke would, like a lightning bolt, 
start running. And he knew he could beat that dachshund back to his safe haven. And he would grab that dachshund by the back of the neck and throw him up in the air. And we said, Duke, don't do that. We had to try to train him. He, he never got the lesson very well. But even if we had succeeded and trained Duke really good, stop eating up the neighbor's dachshund, would that have made Duke a repentant collie? It would have made him a trained collie. People made in God's image, we need to repent. God doesn't need to repent. Because God doesn't need to change his mind about anything. Does he? No. God doesn't change. God doesn't repent. Even in this um, even in this book, 1 Samuel, it talks about the Lord. It says the Lord is not a man that he should repent or change his mind. Why does anybody ever have to change their mind? I mean, let, let's just think about it. We change our mind because we got some new information that is better than what we did have. Or... We figured out something, or somebody gave us some information or something that we could improve upon ourselves. So I've got to change my mind about this or that. Some of you all have changed your mind about your hair color. And so I don't know who of you have done that, but I figure some people do that. And it's fine. I'm not against that at all. But you came, up, you came upon an idea, this would be better than that. So I will change me in that way. Nothing wrong with that. But God doesn't ever come upon something that says, I could change me to be better than I am. Could God do that? No. Because if he can change himself to be better, that means he was less than good and perfect before. And God is perfectly good, perfectly holy. He knows all things. He doesn't come to some new information and a light bulb goes off in God's head and he says, Oh, well, I got new information, and I need to change what I, the way I think. God doesn't do that. What did we say? Repentance, the two ideas biblically, is a change of mind. God doesn't need to do that. And sorrow, such sorrow in heart that I am sorry for what I did. God is not sorry for anything he's ever done. And I, I, I've, said, I've said this to myself, and I say it a lot. There's two words in the English language that you'll never hear God say, and that is, I'm sorry. God will never say those two words, I'm sorry. Because there's nothing in the good heart of God that he ever needs to be sorry for, that he's done, or that he is. We are the ones who need to repent. How many of us? All of us. We must repent. And repentance is necessary. Why is it necessary? First of all, because God says so. All through the Bible. So your next homework assignment is to go through all the Bible and find out where the the teaching of repentance is found. Well, that's a lifetime. So you won't get that done this week. I won't get it done this week. But all the Bible teaches us that all of us need to repent. And why is that necessary? Because God says so. In Isaiah 45, we read that God said to the, through the prophet, Turn to me and be saved, all the earth. Psalm, or Isaiah 45, 22. For I am God and there is no other. God says, turn to me. That's repentance toward God. Turn to me, he says. That's a commandment of God. He doesn't say, I have a suggestion for you. It would be better for you if you turn a little bit toward me. No, he says, I command you this day. Turn to me and be saved. It's the only way we'll be saved is to turn to him in faith. Jesus preached. A lot of sermons of Christ are recorded for us, but among the very first are, 
right in Matthew 4, you remember that Jesus went out into the wilderness? He was tempted of the devil. He came back to his hometown, Nazareth. He moved to Capernaum where he set up his, this is where his ministry was in Capernaum. And it says, and from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know that's what Jesus preached? Usually we, I love the Sermon on the Mount. So we go there and say, here's Jesus's most famous, most famous sermon. But Jesus' first sermons were about repent. And by the way, the Sermon on, on the Mount is all about repentance as well. It's illustrating what, it, what does it mean to lead a faithful and repentant life? Well, read the Sermon on the Mount for your third, your third homework assignment and to see where repentance is written all over that sermon. You heard that it was said, this is the way you should go. Here's the bare minimum religion, you Pharisees. You, this is what you all think it is. Well, at least I don't go out and kill people. Isn't that good? Jesus said, no, I, I want you to have a heart that would so love your neighbor that you would not even be angry at him. Not just you don't kill him. That's, I'm glad you don't kill your neighbor, but... It's even better to have a heart that has changed and says, I love my neighbor. That's what it means to live a repentant life. Who needs to have that kind of repentance worked in us? All of us. Every one of us. He commands it. He commands it. It's necessary. Repentance is necessary because God commands it. In Ezekiel we read, therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is another prophet, the prophet Ezekiel, say to them, thus says the Lord, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations for anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, I will set my face against that man. Against what man? The one who brings his idols into his heart and puts a stumbling block before his own eyes so that he cannot see I should go toward God. Instead, they go toward their own way. And the prophet said, God commands us to repent. Why? Because our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God. Repentance is necessary because of the condition of the hearts of the people. Look again at verse 3, 1 Samuel 7, verse 3. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you. Direct your heart to the Lord. That implies, doesn't it, that their hearts were not holy for the Lord. There needs to be a change. Repentance is necessary. Listen. Because our hearts, if left to our own way, will be at odds against God. And we'll fill them with something. If our hearts are not filled with the Lord, they'll be filled with something. There was an old song that used to be sung when I was a kid. It said, you're going you're gonna to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And that's what the prophet said. If you fill your hearts with idols, somebody says, well, we don't have those Astaroths and idols like that anymore. And I know that's true. I've never seen one. But Americans got idols. Biggest idol we got is our own way. The worst idol you can have is yourself. Worst idol I can have is me. And if we're if our hearts are not for the Lord, they're for whom? Me. My own way. My own way. The Lord says, if you fill your heart with an idol, especially if it's you, that will separate you from God.
Repentance is necessary because of the condition of people's heart. My heart. And your heart. What does repentance look like? It begins with a sorrowing, lamenting heart. In verse 2, it says, All the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Lamented. We don't use that word much. But what, what does that mean? Was, what's, what's that expressing? Sorrow? They were full of sorrow because they knew that their hearts were not right before the Lord. They suffered a cutting, piercing pain in their hearts because they did not have the presence of the Lord with them and they were not in His presence. Their filling their lives and their hearts with idols had blinded their eyes to the Lord and the ways of the Lord. And they lamented that. That's where it begins, with a sorrowful, grieving heart. You remember, again, in Psalm 51, David's psalm of repentance? You all went through that not too long ago? David said, against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Remember? He was so cut to his heart, he exaggerated a little bit. It was a holy exaggeration. He didn't say, I sinned against my wife, which he did. I sinned against Uriah, which he did. I sinned against my children, which he did. I sinned against Bathsheba, which he did. I sinned against the nation, which he did. But he said, all of that could be true. But ultimately, my sin was against the Lord. When we come to that place of sorrowing, that's where we'll wind up. My sin is against the Lord. And I need to turn from that sin, lamenting and grieving and mourning over that sin. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, since we're, we mentioned his most famous sermon, blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, lament, are filled with sorrow over sin. Starts there. Who needs to repent? All of us. Why? Because God commands it and because of the condition of our heart. And how does it begin? What does it look like? It begins with a sorrowing, grieving heart. And... The Apostle Paul writes about that grieving. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he describes the repentance of that church and of people who had been involved in grievous sin. And he said, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. Godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces what? A repentance that leads to salvation. Praise the Lord. What does repentance look like? It begins with sorrow. It goes on to confession. Look at verse 6. It says, So they gathered at Mizpah, They drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on they and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. They said that. They confessed their sin to one another and to the Lord. Real repentance will have, it'll start with a sorrow, a sadness, a grief, a godly sorrow, a a godly grief, and then it will be expressed in confession. We will say it. I may have said to you before, I'm so thankful. I I know you all a little bit, but I forget sometimes if I've said before. That's all right, because I'm going to say it again. Confession means to say the same thing as somebody else. In this case, it is to agree with God. This is evil, God says, and so to confess it means we say, God, amen, you say this is evil. I'm not going to say it was a mistake. I'm not going to say, well, I couldn't help it. 
I'm not going to say well, it was a sickness. It is to say what God says. God says it is evil, it is sin. They confessed it. We'll never be the repentant people we're called to be unless we confess our sin. It is to be honest with God. It is to be so grieved in our hearts that we sorrow a godly grief, and then we confess. We say, yes, Lord, I have sinned. Might be that we need to confess to one another. The Bible says that's good. Confess your faults, your sins to one another. We should do that as God leads us to do that. Certainly if you sin against somebody else, you need to confess to them. It is to confess, it is to speak, but it's not just to speak. It's not just to be sorry. Sorrow is good if it's a godly sorrow. It's not just to confess. Confession is good. But Samuel said it's deeper than that. He said in verse 3, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then do something. That's my translation. Then do something. Do what? Put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth. Put them away. A, sor a sorrow comes over one who is being sensitive to the Lord, a sorrow over sin, a grieving, a godly sorrow, a godly grief, then we confess to the Lord our sin, and then we don't just say it, but we do it. We put away. We turn from going this way to this way. It's not just... Here's a, here's a bad example of Repentance. God, I am naming that it was sin. And I grieve over it. But I'm going to keep going this way. Is that repentance? The prophet said, I see that you're grieving. That's good. And you are confessing. That's good. Then he says, put away your idol. It's easy for Christians to say, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. It's harder, and yet we are enabled to do it, to grieve and to confess and to turn. Not because we're so good and strong to be able to turn, but because it's a gift of God. You know, God's God's gifts don't come with limitation in this way. He gives all that pertains to life and godliness to us in Christ. Not just faith, but faith and a repentant heart and grace to live so that all of life becomes a testimony to who he is and to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called not only to believe, but to believe and by the God-given change of heart to live out that faith. As Jesus said, let your light shine. Where? When we get to heaven? No. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's to live with a repentant heart, a changed heart, a, a heart that is radically changed. Now, a couple of things, and then we're done. What repentance is not? Repentance is not just a change in behavior. Remember the story of Duke the Collie. Or of a parrot that some of you all might have. You know, parrots can be taught to speak English. I don't think they know what they're saying, but they can be taught to speak words. 
you could teach a parent to change the words he or she speaks. And you could train a Christian or, or a person to change the words they say. But just like the trained duke would not be a repentant dog, neither would a trained parrot that learns how to speak different things would not be a repentant parrot. And a man or woman or a child who you teach a little bit of different behavior, they could learn some new behavior but not be a repentant man or woman or child. Isn't that possible? Oh, yeah. Um, Judas Iscariot, it seems like, was so much like the other disciples, it surprised them when it, you mean it's Judas? It's not me, is it, Lord? They said. None of them said it must be Judas because he's rotten. He had learned some good behaviors. You know, he went out with all the rest of them and preached Jesus, evidently. Was he a repentant Judas? The Bible says he wasn't. It's possible for us to change some behaviors and not be a repentant person. What is repentance not? It is sorrow, sorrowing, but not just sorrow. It is confessing, but not just confessing. It's not waiting on God for him to do something, as if, God, I, I want to sorrow over my sin, and I confess it's sin. Now, would you repent for me? No, Jesus said, you repent. You repent. Samuel said to the children of Israel, you turn. He said, you get rid and put away those idols. You do that. Repentance is not a work that we do. And somehow God will be so impressed with us, he'll say, now come on up to heaven because you're a really good repenter. I'm summing up this way. We don't get to heaven and we don't earn heaven because we repent really good. In fact, there was a preacher long ago, his name was Spurgeon, and I think he said something like this. There's enough sin in our repentance that we should repent of it. And that's probably right. How many of you all are really good at repentance and you give yourself an A plus? I hope nobody raises your hand. We don't earn heaven by repenting really well. But I'll say this. I'm, I believe the Bible teaches this. I believe this with all my heart. We don't earn heaven by repenting. We, we receive eternal life as a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But what Jesus saves, he changes. I want to say that again. What Jesus saves, he touches so that it is changed forever. We don't keep going our own way. We turn. We're going God's way. If we're honest, we'll say we're going God's way stumblingly and sometimes tripping up and sometimes falling and sometimes having to confess, Lord, I sin. I confess my sin to you. Forgive me. And what does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. Praise God. Repentance is not to say, well, I used to sleep in on Sunday mornings, but now I have to go to church, so I do. Or now I have to be nice to my brother, so I, I do. Jesus is not after the sweet hour of sleep that we missed this morning. He's after our heart. He's after my heart. He's after your heart. And he deserves all that we are, all that we will ever be. He is worthy of our praise. 
not just our songs, but our lives. And he will enable us to live that way. So, if you are a repenter, praise God for it. Because you didn't invent repentance, and neither did I. You don't have the strength and the ability to figure it all out and, ah, I've repented, so now I fill in the blank. No, we come and say, Lord, help me to be, to have a repentant heart, a humble heart, so that I want to live for you, so that I want to live for your glory. Lord, make me a repenter as you make me a believer. And I don't believe that he'll separate the two because they're joined together. Saved people are changed people by the grace and mercy of God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your mercy today. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are so thankful that if we don't have to wonder um, at who belongs to Jesus because your word tells us that your people bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Your people bring forth fruit that is worthy of repentance. We do not earn heaven. We do not earn eternal life by our doing a work, not even the work of repentance. But you change the ones you save. So Lord, change us, we pray. Change me, I pray that I might display the glory of Jesus Christ in this earth. In my walk of life that you give to me, help me to walk toward you and not my own way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.